Welcome to Sketch Therapist, the podcast that improves your sketch life. I'm Roisin Curie and in today's episode I'm going to talk to you a little bit about vanity. My own vanity to be specific. I am vain. Um, I, yes, suffer from vanity enormously so. But it's quite funny how life has a way of making you feel like an absolute idiot when your vanity is called out. Um, And if you weren't going to be able to laugh at this kind of thing, then I must say, I think you'd be in a sorry state, by which I mean, of course, me. So I thought you might enjoy a few little snippets of um, my vanity writ large, so to speak, um, and how you just, you know, can't take yourself too seriously sometimes. So the first one I want to tell you about is a little story that goes back a long way, which is that my brother, um, when we were teenagers growing up um, in Dublin, when we both left home and moved into Dublin City, obviously we, you know, our social lives kicked off and we would hang around with friends and go to pubs and I don't know, just be general, you know, people of Dublin, young people of Dublin. And it was, it was, well, it was okay, to be honest. It was all right. Um, <laughs> too many, too many nights I don't remember, put it that way. And too many nights visiting um, chips with gravy. Oh my goodness. Chips with gravy from the, from some kind of takeout on the way home after the pub. Ugh, when I think back. Anyway, so my brother and I didn't mix in the same circles. Um, and every now and then I'd somehow, you know, mix with one of his pals and they would invariably say to me, oh my goodness, you're Sebastian's sister. Okay, so my brother's not called Sebastian, but I'm calling him Sebastian for the purposes of this particular story. And I would say, yes, yes. And this happened all the time. This happened all the time, wherever I went. Oh my God, you're Sebastian's sister. Like that, you see. So the years passed and it continued to happen. And one day I said, to Seb, listen, you know what? There's going to come a time when people go, oh my God, you're Roshin's brother. And he laughed and said, yeah, sure. Um, I'd be very happy when that does happen. And he, he genuinely would be. More years passed and I guess I wrote a couple of books and this wonderful day still had not happened. And on Friday, I was in a Zoom meeting and things were going a little bit, you know, well, they were fine. But again, because of my vanity, and I'll elaborate on that in the next little section, I was in a bit of a bad mood. And in comes a text from Sebastian. And he says, he says he was at a funeral of the mom of a friend of his recently there. And uh, he hadn't seen, either he hadn't seen the wife of the friend for years and years and years, or I don't know, maybe she didn't recognise him. But eventually she said, Oh my God, you're Roshin's brother. <laughs> and he was good enough to send me the text and I was so pleased. I just wrote back, yippee. <laughs> so there you go. There's a very good example of really silly, petty vanity. I'll tell you the reason why I was in a bad mood in a minute.
So the reason I was a little bit grumpy the other day was because I was in this meeting and it's one of these business meetings that I attend um, on a periodic basis. And they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant. And we have a leader who is always full of inspiration and ideas. And more importantly, he is great for keeping um, his protégés on track and keeping their eyes on the prize and keeping focused and making us remember what's important and all those really good things. Um, But of course... We all go at our own paces, just like in art, everybody's journey is their own. And I suppose there's an element of luck, but there's also an element of hard work. And I guess I haven't been doing that much hard work lately because I've been taking the summer off and having an absolute ball. You know, I've been sketching loads, but I've been sharing time with my mom as per last week's episode. And I've been having a great time with my family and it's all been wonderful. And as a result, I didn't have fantastic um, uh, end of end of term report or end of month reports to 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 put forward in the meeting. And other people around me were all being um, they're all taking leaps and strides and the facilitator was praising them roundedly or resoundingly, whatever the word is, and was just basically telling the rest of us that, you know, these are the top people in the group and blah, 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 blah. So I was sitting there going, feeling a little bit sorry for myself and the green eyed monster was starting to glint a little bit. And my son Paddy always says to me, mum, you've got to remember comparison is the thief of joy. And he's right. He's right. But on the other hand, you know, you have your nature. And whilst Paddy would never, he's just not the type to compare, even when I think you know, he has good reason to. It's just not in his nature. He's blessed in that way. Um, and I remember hearing that, was it Gore Vidal who said, every time a friend succeeds, I die a little. Now that's me. I'm sorry to say I have lots of good points, I'm sure, but I have some pretty big bad points and being envious and jealous and petty and allowing the green-eyed monster to take hold is definitely one of my less attractive qualities. So that's why when um, when the text from my brother came in about finally he's Roshin's brother, I I was cheered up a little bit. I was cheered up, which is really silly. It's really, really, it's really petty. Anyway, then it finally it was my turn to share what I had got up to um, on the business front over the last month, which wasn't a lot. But because I had been um, waiting for quite a while to have my turn to share, I had I was really building up and bubbling up with ideas and, um, you know, inspirations that I'd picked up from the other people in the group. I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to share them. So um, I was I was sharing, talking and basically telling everybody all the cool ideas I had. And as usual, going off on tangents and not sticking to the point and all that stuff. And then finally, the facilitator said to me, he said, you know what, listening to you, Roisin, it's like being a power hosed in the face. <laughs> what do you say to that? <laughs> I don't even think I really took it on board when he said it. I I, I think I felt a little bit counter power host a little bit. But um, yeah, so if, if I'd had my wits about me, I would have said, hey, you know what? You don't want to be power host? Move out of the way. Just move. You know what to do. But of course, we all think of cool things to say afterwards, don't we? Um, so then I I I uh, was I was with Paddy later on, and I told Paddy what happened, and he said, "You know, Mum, there are two ways to look at that. You know, you can take it as a bad thing, or you can say, well, you know, it just shows that you're a person full of enthusiasm and energy, and that's a really good thing." And I thought, yeah, he's right. He's right. It is a good thing. Not too bad. 
You know, for artists, rejections are very much a part of life. They're that just because they're part of life doesn't make them any easier to handle. They came to me thick and fast during, I suppose, well, forever really, until I got my first gig in two thousand and seven. My first um, children's book was given to me in two thousand and seven. It was for an Irish uh, language um, company, uh, publishing company, um, called Angoom. And since then, I think I've probably published about six books for Angoom um, and one other private company. Angoom is semi-state. So the only books I've ever illustrated for kids have been in Irish. And it's funny because my pictures are no better, no worse in Irish than they would be in English. English is my mother tongue, not Irish. But and <laughs> in fact, I have made mistakes with my drawings because I, I, I did them in the days before Google Translate. And instead of instead of asking for the guys to send me an English translation, this is for one of the books I did and um, I think it was in 2008, um, I figured I could do it myself and uh, I did this huge elaborate drawing and painting and it was only after it was finished that I realised I'd got the, I got the whole situation wrong, the protagonists were in the wrong place and everything. So I had to redo it, so that was a bit thick of me. But anyway, um, so yeah, no, Irish is not my mother tongue. I, I do speak Irish and I love speaking Irish, but it's not my mother tongue. So by rights, I should be working in the English uh, children's book illustration field. But that is not the milieu that I am a part of. I don't know anyone in it and I'm not networked in in that sense, which is relevant to what I'm going to tell you because I continue to get rejections and I am going to tell you in the next little bit here I'm going to tell you a little bit about a few of my most recent rejections and the reason I'm going to do that is because I want to impress upon you very very strongly and very very clearly that rejections are only in a very small part about you and your offering and that is why when you see people whose work is dreadful I'm not going to be kind about it or you think it's dreadful um, and they're flying ahead. They're just racing ahead of you, which is what happened to me for many, many years. And it really, it really, oh, it's so annoying. But remember, don't take it personally. It really isn't. OK, it's a little bit personal because obviously the person looking at your work just doesn't respond to it. But it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, the explanation, the proof of that is the fact that, as I say, I only get offered jobs in the Irish language children's book illustration business. I have never been contacted by an English language book publisher to illustrate for kids because, I don't know, they pigeonhole me, I suppose. Or maybe they think I don't speak English. Is that what it is, guys? Do you think I don't speak English? <laughs> no, I don't speak English. Can't, can't, can't draw pictures for English books. No, but really, there are lots and lots of reasons why you're rejected. Lots and lots of reasons. Um, And once you are on the inside, once you've got a foot in the door, you will find it infinitely easier to be offered further work. That's just the way it is. Um, did I know that when I started out? You know what? I didn't know. Why? Because I didn't have any friends in the business to tell me that. <laughs> so the best I could do was buy or look and go to the library and read the Writers and Artists Yearbook. And it was those little four words that uh, well-known artists and writers would um, put, the little intros to each section, whether it was a section called Looking for an Agent or whatever it was, they were the only voices in the industry in which I wanted to be part of 
um, sorry, of which I want to be part, sorry, sorry, Miss Martins, my English teacher, um, they were the only inkling, the only little hint I had or I could have of what 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 the what the, what was true about the art industry, um, and the creative the creative publishing industry, and that's where I hope I can be, of some comfort to you, because remember it is to a large extent not about you, and here I am all these years later, fully confident and fully competent as an illustrator, as an artist, whatever you guys know what I what I do, and yet I still get regular rejections. Okay, so here's the first of the most recent ones. I was standing in a my framing studio down in Gort. It's called Gort Framing Studio. And the guys are great there. They're brilliant. Um, and they really are. And they give you loads and loads of help and advice. One of them in particular is brilliant. In fact, they all do now that I think of it. Um, and I was in there recently and I was waiting behind a lady who had a very well she only had six paintings to do I know exactly how many she had to do because I was watching the pile go down um and the guy helping her choose her mounts and her frames and so on he was taking great care and great attention giving her loads of attention and really making sure she was pleased with the suggestions that he was making so I was getting very bored and you know, the way none of us can handle boredom anymore. And instead of bringing my little sketching set, my little mini sketching set and sketching all the wonderful things in the shop, which I will do next time, I decided to do some scrolling. And I came across a greetings card company in Ireland that I thought, gosh, I would love to be part of this this company because the work they produce is really fabulous. And they do invite submissions. So I said, OK, and I threw in something. Now, I didn't add any pictures because I think they, to the best of my knowledge, I think they say don't bother um, just give us a link to a portfolio, something like that. So I probably gave them a link to my Instagram or something. I don't know what I did. Um, but within 20 minutes, was it 15 minutes before I'd even left the damn studio? I had been told in no uncertain terms that they weren't interested. So, <laughs> I mean, that was quick. They're not usually that quick off the bat, you know, really stay away from us. Really, really stay away from us. You know, quick, quick, get to that email machine, send her an email, tell her to go away. So that was one of them. Um, I think I told you already, it's a little bit further ago, a couple of months ago, um, I submitted a few pieces that I really sweated over. They were written pieces and um, I submitted them to an Irish magazine and they were rejected. So that was another one. Um, what else? Uh, 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 oh yeah, here's another one. I was, um, I don't know what I was doing. Oh yeah. One of my colleagues, one of my fabulous, um, art, uh, fellow artists, amazing, amazing, amazing man. He was talking about a workshop he is doing later on this year in Ireland. So I thought, oh gosh, I'd like to know more about that because I love this guy and I've very, for a very long time wanted to attend a workshop that he would give. And in fact, I really must I mean, you must make good on that and book a place. But I looked at the lineup of fellow teachers that are teaching in that particular venue. And I was really impressed because I would know a lot of them. In fact, one of them was a teacher of mine back in the day in NCAD. And uh, I was really, really impressed with the quality and the calibre of the teachers that were teaching there. And I noticed that he didn't have any urban sketchers and urban sketching is just the best, guys. Come on, we all know that. It's the best. It's better than anything. It's better than fine art. It's better than botanical painting. It's better than, I don't know, graphic design. It's better than illustration. It's the best thing in the whole world. It's better than music. It's better than song. It's better than <laughs> poetry. It's better than the sun, the stars. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Calm down, calm down. 
But I did think that they might be able to uh, use an urban sketcher who happens to be a very experienced teacher, such as myself. So I dropped them a line in their inquiries box. And that was that. I heard nothing. That was weeks ago and I heard nothing. So I guess they aren't interested in me either. Okay, another one. Oh, yeah. Here's one on one of my recent books. Now, this one is not my most recent, but I got a royalty check recently and it covered. This is nothing to do with rejections. I don't know why I'm adding this in here, but it, it was a bestseller for uh, for a long time. And um, I got a royalty check the other day and uh, I won't say exactly how much it was for. OK, but it was over 200 euros and under 300 euros. <laughs> and that covered me for royalties for I think it was for a year. I think it was for a year. So guys, you know, I mean, I didn't get rejected at the time that I applied to write that book. I got accepted and I'll always be grateful to them. But don't think it's going to make you a whole heap of cash because it isn't. Because no matter how good you think you are, no matter how brilliant you might in fact be, it doesn't necessarily translate into sales. And in fact, a friend of mine, a very wonderful person, um, a friend of mine who lives in this area, she's 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 been around on this planet for a long time. She knows a thing or two about a thing or two. And we were talking about this thing about selling books. And she said, uh, sex or murder, Roisin, sex or murder. If you want to make loads of sales, just write about sex or murder. I said, OK, I can do that. And she said, no, don't do that. <laughs> but uh, I could, you know, I totally could. But she said, no, 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 no. no. But she's right, though. She is right. Like, I know it's such a cliche, but she's right. Uh, OK, here's another little failure for you. As it happens, it had a kind of a happy ending. Um, I was renovating a um, guest room in my home and uh, it had been the room of my eldest child, who has now moved on to bigger and better things. And so the room was vacant and it was high time that I gave it a good clean out. So I did. I gave it a thorough, thorough clean out and we repainted, the husband and I, we repainted and we scrubbed and we cleaned and we washed and we did everything. And it was looking absolutely beautiful by the time we were through. And all that was missing was some art on the walls. And I kind of looked around in my collection and I couldn't find anything that I thought would look cool. Everything was just I don't know, didn't seem to suit it in some way. And then I remembered that I had submitted three pieces for sale to a gallery in Galway, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, something like that. Um, And I also remembered that three out of the four that I submitted hadn't sold. And I was very excited when I realised this. So I wasted no time in going into the shop in question and I collected the three and I am so happy to have them. They're a set. I'll tell you what they were, actually. And hopefully you'll be sorry you didn't go in and buy them because they really are very cool. What I did was I got these cool um, black and white vintage photos. I have a book of postcards that were taken all over the world from different photographers at the turn of the last century. So they're all black and white and they're exquisite. And they were all taken at a time when people in each country, in each area, they wore their costumes and clothes that they'd worn forever and a lot of these clothes are absolutely beautiful in fact they're all really really beautiful they're all really really beautiful I must do more of them and I was very inspired not just to paint them not just to copy them but what I did was I looked for the beauties because there's nothing like a beautiful young girl or a beautiful young man 
But I spotted the, I, I identified what I thought were beautiful young women. And it was important that they were wearing clothes that were um, textiles in some way. Because that's the that's usually what the women do is make textiles wherever they are. So one of them was and I and what I did was I included in the background of each of these uh, reproduced paintings from these photographs. I reproduced the textiles that they would they would have worked on. So for example, um, there was a tribe called the Cros Tet. They're called the Cros Tet, and they're in Vietnam, in the mountains. And the reason they're called the Gros Tet is because they wear these enormous hats to cover their hair, the way they've done their hair. I don't know how they've done their hair, but they wear these enormous kind of hats. I mean, they're vast. They're vast, they're vast, they're vast. They're like a huge sphere on top of their head and look cool. But they, in that particular area of Vietnam, they make the most incredible embroidered and woven, sorry, not embroidered, woven, woven textiles, most exquisite cloth. So look up the, um, the gross tet. I can't remember what the other name for the t- the tribe is, G R O S E S T E T E S, and that'll that'll bring you to them. They um, there's one tribe that only does black. It's actually indigo kind of a cloth, very dark indigo, um, black cloth with bright coloured threads on it. There's one that's red, with bright coloured threads. I think there's one that's blue. And they're called like the red tribe, the blue tribe or whatever. They're amazing. They're just exquisite. So what I did was I used my acrylic gouache paints to put into the background textiles that these women would have been involved in making. So that was the Vietnamese lady. Then I did a beautiful Moroccan girl. um, And I did a, she was wearing gorgeous clothes. Oh, she was lovely. I think she was a Berber. Um, I think she was a Berber. Maybe. I can't remember. Um, And again, so remember all these photos that I reproduced, they're done in black and white. And then... um. The background of the Berber girl was a rug, you know, a woven Moroccan rug. And it was all in sort of bricks and oranges and beautiful burnt orange and reds and white. And it was really gorgeous. And then the third one was a, I think she was an Algerian woman and she's veiled and she's got this like veil on. And again, it's just black and white painted. But in the background for her, I gave her one of those gorgeous geometric tiled backgrounds and again using my very bright intense acrylic gouache paints so and then the fourth one the one that sold was a mandarin man in silks and beautiful embroidered silks and I gave him a beautiful embroidered silk background but I don't think he had anything to do with making that background so in a way I'm glad he's the one who sold even though it was gorgeous oh my goodness should have seen the neon green background it was so cool um I must put them on my website, actually, if I can dig them out. I think I scanned them before I put them in the in the frames. But I went in and I got them back from the shop and I am so delighted that they didn't sell. So there you go. Once you've once you've sold a piece, guys, you'll get the money and you'll pay your bills, um, put food on the table and then the piece is gone forever. And there's only one of them in the whole world. Um, and I'm really glad they didn't sell. I'm really, really glad that I and I did feel a bit like tail between my legs when I went into went in to collect them. You know, people buy them or they don't, it doesn't matter. So there you go. Uh rejected paintings. Yeah, uh, nobody wanted them. And uh now they're hanging in my guest room and they look absolutely fabulous. So there you go, there's three brief little, I suppose, rejections. Um, and they all had they have a happy ending. The art Greetings cards. Does that have a happy ending? No, I'm still cross about that. They didn't have a happy ending. Um, teaching in that place, mm, so so. Um, my ego is a little bit miffed about them not getting back to me. On the other hand, if I had been accepted, then I would have actually had to 
go and do the work. So, you know, that would have been tiring. <laughs> I would have got cold. So there you go. Phew. <laughs> um, and the last one. Well, as I've just said, really happy ending. Don't go away. As some of you guys know, I run, I teach, I teach online. And in conjunction with that, I run a closed Facebook group where my students can share their work and we chat about different things and we share news and they can have critique if they want critique and they get to know each other. And it's become a real community. It's really, really lovely. It's probably about 230 something like that people in the group at the moment so it's a very it's a very lively group and it's 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 brilliant I really love being part of it but it's also a place where I get to ask my students um who are my clients if you like what they would like in terms of teaching and what they'd like me to cover in the coming months and whatever term so I put it to them um just to give me different ideas and one woman was talking about a sketch I'd done during the week. She was referring to that and she said she would like to know how to make food look delicious. OK, so I thought about it and I realised that to make food delish- look delicious, why does something look delicious? It's because food does look delicious, right? So what's the connection there between your sketch of food looking delicious and the food itself looking delicious. Well, it's because you've faithfully reproduced it. And that's it. Nothing more. I can't make food look delicious by adding artifice or anything like that. Or can I? OK, so I figured I'd give you a few tips about how I make things look lovely. And I'm going to um, include, as my illustration for this week, I'm going to include that breakfast sketch that the lady in question was talking about. So thank you, Jane, for the suggestion. Um, because it's given me an idea to talk a little bit in more depth about the um, the sketch in question. Now, when I look at the sketch, I'm looking at it here in front of me. And when I look at the sketch, I realise that there are so many techniques involved. OK, there are so many techniques involved and they just all happen to be put together in this particular sketch. Um, I read recently, did I put it on a previous podcast? I can't remember. Did I? Anyway, what it was, I read recently a quote and I thought it was really good. It said that um, when you see someone uh, create a work of genius or produce genius, or you see a piece of art or a piece of music or whatever it is, it's simply that the person has taken loads and loads of skills and is applying them all simultaneously. Um, This sketch that I'm talking about here is a perfect example of that. Because all it does is bring together a whole bunch of techniques and and skills all together. Okay, so the rain has suddenly started thundering down on my roof. I don't know if you can hear it, but let's just uh, let God do his thing while I chat. Okay, so the reason I was inspired to paint this particular scene was because of the strawberries that I found in the fridge. Um, they're probably, I don't know irradiated with something crazy because they weren't going moldy they were they were still looking lovely and I and they'd been there for a good while but I figured that they weren't going to last much longer so I decided to eat the lot I did save some for my husband anyway I my plan was because I I'm it's not that I struggle with using red but my plan was to just do the strawberries and do everything else and just a line drawing because I know that red with other colors can be a little bit less than you know great 
So it can be a bit difficult to work it. So I drew out my my scene. Okay, so the first thing I'll need to talk to you about is composition. What made me choose the composition I chose? Well, I'm not going to say it was down to the colours that they would eventually end up having, because remember, I was going to just leave it in black and white and just do the strawberries. Okay, I arrange things and arrange them and arrange them. The packet of muesli is the cheapest possible and from Tesco's. I actually enjoyed it. I, you have to put everything in the whole entire health food shop on top to make it interesting because it's got nothing in it. So I put Brazil nuts, walnuts, bananas, apples, whatever other fruit I can find on top. And it makes this very dull muesli into something really, really great. Um, so I put the bag of muesli on one side. I didn't want to put it in the middle because don't forget, I use a sketchbook and it's portrait format. So the gutter runs down the middle and I didn't really want the bag to be cut in half. Also, I thought if I put a large item right in the middle, I thought it might look like the sketch was all about that. Plus, if you put something large at the side, it kind of gives a bit of a dynamism. All right. So that was another reason. So I put the bag, the tallest item in the sketch. I put the, that on the far left hand side. And then I put the Brazil nuts and the walnuts, the two packets side by side in the center. And I arranged it so that the Brazil nuts, um, the writing wouldn't fall on top of the gutter. So the writing wouldn't get disrupted. And the Brazil nuts and the walnuts, they're the same make from the same shop and the same essential design. So they looked really good side by side. The only difference really in them was their colours and the patterns of nuts on the front. Then I, at the last minute, I threw in a bottle of oat milk at the, the back. And before I tell you why I did that, I better tell you, I also brought in my cup of tea um, on the far right. It's quite small. And I did it because I thought in terms of storytelling, it tells the viewer that that's the entire breakfast, the cup of tea, the bowl of muesli, the fruit. OK, but then I had a gap behind the cup. There was a bit of a gap um, between the cup and the packet of walnuts. So that's why I put the oat milk in. And I knew I was still thinking in terms of just a line drawing um, and the oat milk had a yellow band around the top. So I thought, well, I'm not going to be doing that anyway because it's yellow, you know, and this sketch is all about red. Now, I did choose matching plate and bowl. They're from Ikea. I don't know if Ikea still does them anymore, but they're really um, nice, light green, apple green colour plate and bowl. And I arranged the strawberries onto the plate and I made sure that they had lots of green bits facing outwards. But I think that would be pretty obvious if you did that. OK, so that's my composition. All right. And then I knew that there'd be a little bit of wooden table underneath everything just to kind of anchor everything. But again, I wasn't really thinking about that at the time. Remember, still at this stage, all I could think of was painting the strawberries red. And besides, I was hungry. I wanted to eat my breakfast. So I certainly at that stage didn't realise that I was going to be doing this sketch for a very long time and that it would be a very long while before I got to eat my muesli. So um, I put the strawberries on the left hand side, nice and clear of the gutter, partly because I wanted to make a highlight out of them and partly because I wanted to make sure they didn't land on the gutter and make the drawing of the plate a little bit wobbly as it hit the gutter. So um, so that's the composition. And of course, the muesli was in front of the Brazil nuts and walnuts because, you know, that's what you do when you have your breakfast. You put your plate and bowl in front of the stuff that you're eating, right? Or, the, you know, the packets. And then I got sketching and I decided to use... So that's the composition done. Well, let's move on to the drawing aspect. So in terms of drawing, I use a foodie pen. I use the brown ink foodie pen um, because I thought it'd be soft and I thought it would look good with the red. Um, I, di I didn't really want to go black. 
uh, I felt the brown would be a bit better. So I used my Jin Hao uh, transparent pen, which is good value. It's not as expressive as the Sailor pens in terms of the nib. Now, it does have a 55 degree bent nib, just like a Sailor does. But somehow, I don't know why, it doesn't do the kind of fat and thin line as well. I probably should move on to a brush pen again. Kind of came off them for a long time. So that was that was my choice of pen and my choice of ink. The ink is Diatramentus Document Brown and it's waterproof. Um, and I drew away, um, I draw the out outsides of each of the shapes in a heavier line. So that's the upright position or the low angle for very heavy lines of the pen, the low angle or upright position of the pen. And then for any internal lines, for example, if I wanted to outline the shiny bits, then of course I flip the nib around and I use the reverse of the nib, okay? So that's very important. So any internal lines like the dots on the strawberry, uh, what else? The outlines for shadows, any lines that I don't particularly want to be too heavy, I will use the reverse of the nib, which gives a really skinny line. All right. Did I use that for the writing? No, I think I used the upright position for the writing. Um, did my best with the writing. My best is never good enough. It always comes out sort of a bit scrappy. Um, my brother said one time, oh, I can't remember. It'll come to me. But uh, he uh, he didn't say my writing, my handwriting was manky, but he said something else. I think it was my manky handwriting. I don't remember. But anyway, um, I am always conscious of my manky handwriting and I always try my best to copy the shapes of the letters really, really well. And the way I do that is I just eyeball them every before taking any stroke at all, because once you start your trajectory of your line um, in lettering, that's it. You're committed. So just keep looking up, keep looking up, keep looking at your lettering and uh, you won't go too far wrong. Now, it's far more important to get the shapes of the letters consistent and the shapes a little bit accurate and true than to get them placed on the package in the right place. That's much less important. And you'll see in my sketch that bits overlap other bits that aren't supposed to be like that at all. Um, I whipped out the red ink pen, which I always have handy for some of the writing um, because I, at that stage I was still just going for red and white kind of image on drawn, uh, painted on brown ink lines. So I felt that the red ink had a strong place in the ensemble. So that is what I can tell you about the drawing. OK, now that and in terms of skills involved, um. I've said this a million times and I'm going to say it again and I hope it's going to mean something to you. Start at point A. Mark the position along the line of point A or right your line A will say where something intersects. In this case, let's say I drew the outline of the bowl of muesli and then I noticed that the right hand edge of the Brazil nut packet started about halfway along the top side of that bowl. And then I quickly glance over to my left and I notice that the left hand side of the Brazil nut packet is a certain distance from the left hand edge of the bowl. OK, and then I make sure when I'm drawing the top of it, not to make it too tall, not to make it too short. And then I start putting the bits and pieces onto the packet, like the little brand names, the little bands where the title of the product goes, all that stuff. And then I start filling in whatever pictures on the front. And in this case, it's Brazil nuts. So again, I'm looking up, I'm looking up, I'm trying to make sure I get the Brazil nuts in the right place. And what I don't do is go, oh, OK, I'm just going to fill in some nuts here and just draw in all the Brazil nuts. No, I don't do that. I don't go all random and off 
piece and by all means do so if that's your if that's your vibe go for it but that's not that's not my vibe at all I like to draw what I see and I like to stick to what I see anyway even if I do my very very best it doesn't necessarily come out well so I kind of continued in that vein. I moved on to the walnuts packet. I'd already done the plate of strawberries. I really enjoyed drawing the strawberries. Um, outlined their shadows, as I said. Really enjoyed doing the muesli packet. And don't forget that... Uh, oh, I better do a, a separate piece on light. So obviously the bowl is very shiny. The plate is very shiny. So I outlined the little shapes of the reflections. It's the two windows coming in on the curved side of the bowl. Uh, coming in through the window I outlined those that's on the inside of the bowl the bag of muesli was really shiny so I made sure to outline a lot of the shiny bits now it seems I kind of got carried away when I was painting it in the end because I seem I'm looking at it now and I can see that I painted on top of a lot of the the shiny bits Um, did the same on the cup outlined the shine that was caught down the front of the cup and was there anything else shiny bits oh yeah the rims of the bowl and the rims of the plate they were kind of white as well so I either cordoned those off with the skinny side of my nib or I made a strong mental note just to not paint on top of them by accident when I'm getting out the paint so let me have a look is that it I think that's pretty much it for actual drawn bits of light areas but it is definitely a part that people might forget. Think about the light that you're looking at and if necessary, outline it, circle it with the skinny side of your nib or a pencil if you really don't want to make a permanent line. A pencil, you can always rub it out. You can always just memorise it as well. But if you're me, you'll just paint on top of it by accident. So I do like to sort of draw it out in some kind of unobtrusive way. So that's the composition the drawing and the light taken care of so the last thing that remains is the color okay and the painting so there's two separate things here there's the colors i chose and there's the way i applied them so number one colors i chose uh once i'd done the strawberries i in red i realized that i wanted to do the green parts of their little leaves um and i realized that if that was going to be green well, I might as well do loads of other bits of green as well. So then I started trying to capture the right shade of green for the bowl and the plate, which I couldn't at all. So, um, well, I'll tell you how I did that in a second. I still want to talk to you about the choice of colours. So I noticed that the Brazil nuts and the walnuts were m mostly in browns and reds. So that was just a fluke. So the walnuts is browns with a little bit of green for the logos um, and the information bits. And the Brazil nuts is brown as well, but with a red... Uh, strip for where it's written Brazil nuts so that was ideal because the back of the muesli is red as well so this is great and the fact that the table is brown that really tied in with the brown of the walnut packet and the Brazil nuts on the front of the Brazil nut packet and of course the surface of my tea which I painted first because I was definitely going to have hot tea come hook or come crook um, so there was loads of browns then I realized that was I, the next question was, was I going to introduce yellow? Okay, because the top of the oak box was yellow. But I didn't want only one thing in yellow because then it kind of catches the eye too much. But then I remembered that the bumblebee on front of the cup definitely needed to be painted. And of course, bumblebee is nothing without its yellow stripes. So I knew there was going to be yellow somewhere else. And then I noticed there was a little yellow circle on the Brazil nut package as well that was yellow. And in fact, a little daub of something on the muesli packet. I have no idea what it is. So, and that tied very well in. It tied in very well with the apple green of the bowl and the plate as well. Even though I didn't catch the colour at all, according to what I wanted. Um, 
still, I, I, I was pleased enough with the green for the bowl and the plate. I thought they'd look quite nice. And the fact that the labels, the information labels on the nut packets were in a very, very deep, dark green worked really well. Same with the oat milk. There was a label on the front saying something like 10% oat or something. And that was in dark green as well. So, so far, the only colours I have are red, lots of different browns, uh, lots of different greens and a highlight of yellow. There's no blue, there's no purple, there's no pink, there's no navy, there's no, I don't know, tons of things. So it's a very, very limited palette. So that would definitely be a very good tip. If you're doing food, keep your colours to the bare minimum. Choose your palette, think about it, bring out the colours that are most important in your composition and just edit out the colours that don't belong. Seriously, you can get away with this, no bother. Um, okay, finally, I'm going to tell you how I actually applied the paint. So there's a lot of wet on wet. Um, there's a lot of colour creativity, as that's what I call it, when you, uh, when you bring in lots of different colours into this into a large body colour. It's it works really really well for especially red, because red can be a bit tricky. So in the packet of muesli on the left, I've got uh, Aquarius orange, which is a really beautiful burnt orange by Roman Schmal. I've got, uh, what else do I have? I've got lots of magenta. So it's just magenta and burnt orange and you mix them together, you get this great red. Same for the strawberries. But then I also introduced a little bit of red ink just for the crack. And I let, I, I blended that out, some of it, when it was still wet. So I got a lot of different effects and I'm really, really pleased with it. I was trying to be a bit sloppy and a bit messy and I'm really glad with the way it came out. I think it's very nice. Now, one of the things that was also very important, I'm kind of jumping the gun here a bit, but it was very important to write Brazil nuts and walnuts in white because they were white or maybe they were yellow. I can't remember, but I think they were white. Um, but the white gel pen is not going to show up unless you have a very, very dark background. So I had to make sure, even if only where the lettering was, I had to make sure that the paint was very, very intense at those particular places. And um, what else can I tell you? So there's a very thin dilute strip of paints grey running down the left hand side of the cup uh, the wood grain everybody goes crazy when I do wood grain they all want to know how to do it how to do it how do you do it it's very easy um, use a variety of nib widths to draw out your rings remember the variety of nib widths is important and also would you please look carefully at the at the shapes of the rings on the surface and try and follow them faithfully try to get the gaps nice and tight between the long bits and um, imagine that a great big weight, you know, those big weights they have in cartoons has squashed all these rings. So they're all flattened because you're looking at them side on and they're flattened anyway. They're not they're not um, they're not circular. So draw your grains with your waterproof pen as best you can. And then on the inside of either side of the squash of these squashed rings, you, what I'll get you to do is beef up your rings a little bit, either in the dark brown ink or you can do it in pen or in paint, sorry. But I would recommend you do it in brown ink because they do need to be quite dark. And then when you when the ink is dry, you've drawn it all out and it's all dry. And then you'll throw on some burnt sienna and some yellow ochre, letting it deepen and darken to burnt umber right next to any of your objects that are sitting on the table. And then wait for that to dry and then do it again. OK, just do it again. So, uh it does take a little bit of time to do the wood grain nicely. And then if there's some really dark patches, such as in the centre, just to the left of the gutter, um, I actually fill that in with a little bit of scribbly dark brown ink. 
when I thought I everything else was taken care of. So I hope that is helpful. So to summarize, keep your colors to a minimum when you're doing a food sketch or it's just going to look clashy. Make great use of highlights. Keep everything light and fresh with highlights. Uh, what else can I tell you? Think about your composition. Make sure it's not, it's a nice composition, nice and tight, nice and close together. Then again, that's up to you. It's kind of a style decision there. So I hope that's been of some use to you. Um, so go ahead and make your food look delicious. And I wish you luck with that. That's it for this week's episode of Sketch Therapist. You know, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy that I can spend the first half of this episode telling you about how everyone tells me to buzz off and to stop pestering them. And the second half, or please don't power hose me in the face. And the second half of it, um, telling you with huge confidence and sureness uh, about how to make your food sketches look delicious. And I'll tell you what the reason is. People often say, how do you keep your confidence in the light of so many rejections? And I'll tell you what it is. It's the actual stuff I sketch. That's the reason behind the confidence. Everything is so beautiful. Everything is so beautiful. In the words of Don Corleone, life is so beautiful. But it really is. Life is so beautiful. And that is why I find that I keep going because I just can't not sketch this beautiful world. And the more you sketch your beautiful world, the better you will be. And the more all these people telling you, please go away, will mean less to you. It'll mean less and less and less. You do your thing and be guided by what inspires you. And I know it's tough to be turned away if that's what you are about. That's what I was about. I mean, come on, I had to make a living. So, you know. I had to keep wading in to the deep end and taking the chance of rejection. And by golly, it came my way and continues to. It continues to, to this very day. And it will continue to do to you too, no matter, well, I was going to say no matter who you are, but there are definitely some people who never get no's for anything they try, or at least they don't tell us about it if they do get no's. But I am going to tell you about all my no's and I'll continue to do so. So uh, yeah, bring it on. Well, actually, maybe don't. But um, yeah, no, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope that you will sketch your breakfast. Um, I hope you don't get as hungry as I did by taking so long over it. It was at least an hour more by the time I had finished it. Um, but I'm really glad I did and I felt great and I really enjoyed it. So that's the end of this episode. And just to remind you, if you do want to get into the world of watercolour, my next live course in watercolour sketching takes place from the 5th to the 9th of September. It takes place at one o'clock in the afternoon to 2.30 in the afternoon, GMT plus one, that's Irish time. Um, so it's every day for five days. The princely sum to you is 25 euros and you'll get the recording as well. You don't have to ask for it. So um, so whether you can make the live or not, you will get the recording for the whole week, all five sessions, 25 euros, including recording. I mean, come on, 
where else are you going to get that kind of value um and i've done two of them this summer already and they've been super popular and in fact i think i have another lady coming to a third which is lovely to see it's lovely to see so you can go to my website roisincure.com or o-i-s-i-n-c-u-r-e.com and you can book away um, it's very easy. Just click under, I think it's under live classes. You think I'd memorize it by now, but I haven't. So click under live classes and book away. And uh, what else? I forgot to tell you. Mm, two workshops coming up at the end of August in person, but they're both packed to the brim and have been for a long time. Um, what else can I tell you? Mm, beautiful books from me. You can get them from me. Um, an Urban Sketchers Galway. You can get, uh, it's all about, it's a memoir of life in Galway. You can get um, Drawing Expressive People. That's the Urban Sketching Handbook, Drawing Expressive People. Published that in 2020, 2020. You can get that from me. And you can get my latest book, Dublin in Sketches and Stories. You can get that from me too. And uh, that came out about, oh gosh, about eight months ago now. So there you go, guys. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope that you've picked up something of use today. And in the meantime, I wish you as always happy sketching. Skanky. That was the word that my brother used to describe my handwriting. Skanky. <laughs>